0: Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a pair of pastor scholars get together and study a seasonally appropriate scripture passage. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, and especially equipping for those who are preparing sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. My name is John Drury, I'm a Discipleship Pastor at the Spiritual Formation Office for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana, and my guest this week is Kristen Taylor. Kristen has been on the show before. She's part of the teaching team at her church up in Canada where she lives. Uh, She uh, holds a PhD in uh, rhetoric and in English language studies. She is a poet and a writer and a thinker and a preacher. And so she's always a blast to have on, but especially when we're looking at poetry in the scriptures, which we are this week as we're continuing through our study of the Psalms. Our uh, psalm this week is Psalm 67, Psalm 67. While you're listening to the show today, if you're enjoying it want to share it with someone else, just click the share button on your podcast player app of choice and pass it along to others so that they may enjoy as well. And if you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash fresh text and see how you can become a patron saint of the show. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Kristen. Psalm sixty-seven.
1: Okay, so I'm actually reading this from the Tree of Life version, which is a Messianic Jewish translation. Have you heard of it before?
0: I'm not familiar with it, so that's great.
1: All right, here it is, Psalms 67. For the music director with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he cause his face to shine upon us, so that your way may be known on earth and your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples fairly and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its harvest. God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him.
0: In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word, both your word to us and the way you inspire human words back to you like we have in this psalm today. And so we ask, Lord, that as we study these ancient words, that you will be moving among us, between Kristen and I as we encounter the text, and in the hearts and minds of all those who are listening in, that they might See and hear something new and true in this word of yours. We ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, Kristen, what do you notice here in Psalm 67?
1: Yeah. Well, I immediately, I think I see this through the eyes of a creative writer, poetry, which you and I have talked a lot about in previous episodes together. And we know that this is a song. It's a poetic form and language. And everything that I know and understand about poetry is poetry, unlike prose. I mean, of course, this is porous, but we'll just make some generalizations here. Poetry, unlike prose, is inviting us into an experience with imagery, figurative language, sound, and form. So when I'm looking at this as a poem... What's really standing out to me is the form, the way in which it's been constructed. And then I ask myself, how is the form amplifying or illustrating the content, the message? So it's really fascinating for me to see it. And I think sometimes the way, you know, in poetry, the way it's as important how it's laid out on the page sometimes is even the words. And and sometimes the translations don't show us how this is laid out on the page very well, but we could take the poem and almost fold it in half and unfold it. And in the center, that verse four would be sort of like the central, what do you call that? That line that runs right down the middle of, I don't know, whatever. I'm sure there's a geometric word for it, but I don't, I don't know that word. And then we see verses three and five, replicate each other on the outside. They're symmetrical, right? On the outside of verse 4. And then we have another wave or another ripple, even on the outside of that, verses 1 and 2 are symmetrical with verses 6 and 7. And so, that to me is really interesting. And so, then I start to read the psalm around that structure. And I start to ask myself, what is this trying to amplify for me in terms of the structure? And we can talk more about that here in a little bit, but I'll just stop with that.
0: Yeah. Let's just talk about that structure a little bit. So I think I see, so by four, so that'd be nations rejoice in glad song. Mm -hmm. What was your version said there, that line?
1: That was, so I flipped over to a different version. You're okay.
0: Any version will do.
1: And actually I don't know what this version is. So, This one is, verse four says, let the nations be glad and shout aloud, for thou shalt judge the peoples uprightly and lead the nations on the earth.
0: Yeah, so that kind of places that at the heart of the passage, right? So then the B and B prime around that would be Mm -hmm. nations, you know, give you thanks, O God, all peoples give you thanks. Mm -hmm. Nations give you thanks, O God, all peoples give you thanks. I think that is I. Identical. I'll double check it in the Hebrew, but at yeah. least in my English, it's like, it's exactly identical, right?
1: That's right. That's right. It is exactly identical here too. Let me see the me
0: double check it. Tree
1: Do of it. life. Yeah, and the tree of life.
0: Yep. It's identical in the original it's too. Ad- yeah.
1: Yeah. But then the verses even outside of that, one and two and six and seven, they're not identical in language, but they strike me as there's parallels in content and in intent or in meaning in those four verses that book in it on the other side. I kind of see this as like, you know, if you're looking at a really still pond and you drop a pebble into the pond and there's like the poop, and then the ripples ripple out. I see that verse four is the epicenter, right? Of where the pebble has hit. And then these verses on either side of it are the ripples going out and out and out concentrically around that sort of center, center verse.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that image. Well, this is usually referred to as a a chiasm or a chiasmus when you kind of have a central point and then you know the rhyming is kind of a an A B C B A pattern, something like that, mm-hmm. right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and yeah, and it's
0: pretty common in Hebrew poetry. There's a lot of debate about how much there is because some people kind of get. Chiasm fever, you know, and they start seeing it on every page, you know, and you can kind of force it where it isn't.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um,
0: this is a case where we have at least clear confirmation because you have precise repetition of language on both sides Mm -hmm. of a central statement. And we'd be wise to both be open to the parallel of the beginning and the end without Mm -hmm. forcing it. So we'll come back to that, but I've been getting in a habit. You know, so the standard way of describing a a chiasm would be like A, B, B, A or A, B, C, B, A like that.
1: Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I've been getting in the habit of like inverting those when I'm just doing my own personal notes. So I spot the midpoint and I call Mm -hmm. that A and then I go B and B prime, C and C prime out. Yes. And that's for the reason that you pointed out, which is the problem is if you run it the other way, it can actually make the midpoint come to appear In just the the hierarchy of the way we use our letters as a numbering system, you know, it's the lower point. It's like, no, it's A, it's the heart, right? It's the main idea. And so it'd be interesting to maybe we should zoom in on four for content a little bit and then come back to form maybe in our next segment. Does that make sense? So
1: yeah, I think so. I mean, what's
0: in four that makes that the key as it were to the whole, right?
1: Right. The
0: question that your formal analysis raises for us.
1: Right. And I think that's, yeah, absolutely. If we read it like poetry, then we want to ask ourselves, like, the poet is directing our attention to this verse. This is the heart of it right here. So, I mean, we read it lots of different ways. One way is to read it, yeah, top to bottom, linearly. But if we if we look at that as the heart of the poem and start there and move out, that renders some interesting insights too, Exactly for your point of the way we, you know, in our Euro-Western minds, we think so linearly and and hierarchically. And, and so if we're moving from the inside out, it kind of helps us come at it from a different perspective, I think. So, yeah, let's do it. Verse four.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, my eye, and you feel free to correct me on this from your poet's ear, but my <laughs> eye is drawn to the verb, to the two verbs because, you know, it's, it's standard Hebrew couplet, you know, where it kind of says it and a little different. Okay. So, you know, let the nations rejoice in glad song. So that's, that's the human action, the rejoicing. And then the reason for that, then this double verb is interesting for you. And notice it, it's not for God, but for you. So it's addressed to God here, which he also, he, he mixes it in the, the B and the B prime where it's, you know, nations, Give you thanks, O God. All nations give you thanks to you. So it's doing God and you. Whereas here, it's just you. You, God, rule. Rule the peoples rightly, maybe. Judge them rightly. That There's some questions here about translation. And then you lead or you govern the nations of the earth. So I, I don't know. My eye's drawn to those verbs. What is it that is the reason for the nations rejoicing? That's right. What's the divine action That the human action of joy corresponds to.
1: Yes. And that for me really strikes me because the joy corresponds to the, and in both of my versions, it's judge, but judging fairly, right? And then guiding. And there's sort of a sense for me of God's judgment brings joy because it's restitution, right? Like it's it's actually life-giving. I think maybe, I don't know. The language here, maybe judges, not, I mean, we have so many connotations in English around that word now that I, I don't know that we can maybe hear it without thinking of the law, without grace, but it seems to me when I see that first, you know, the nations be glad and sing for joy, there's joy in that because somehow God's judgment is a mercy, is a grace. In guiding, you know, the nations of, on the earth. So, I think that's really interesting. It's something I don't know. I've, I'm just sitting with it for a little bit and contemplating it.
0: Yeah, as we contemplate it together, I wonder if judging. I'm thinking of the role that a ancient king would play. I mean, again, in our modern ears, modern separation of powers. A doctor and I actually. Concur with as a in terms of modern political theory, but I mean the importance of separation and powers implies that prior to that they weren't separated, right? It was uh-huh. a king who who made laws and who also executed those laws and would judge special cases, right? And could grant clemency and whatnot. And this image, I, I you see it in like the stories of Solomon, like when people would come before him and like the two women with the baby whose baby it is right that these famous stories well that's not i mean in some ways that seems sort of strange like what does that have to do with like being a king but that's actually kind of what kings are supposed to do is kind yeah. of judge cases uh-huh you see an early form of that i think in when moses uh where all the people are coming to moses and he has to like deal with every single case and his father-in-law comes and says this is too much you need to appoint some you know some appellate judges uh, right
1: right yeah <laughs>
0: To take care of the small cases. So I wonder, I, I only mention that because, I mean, it wouldn't have to have that meaning, although mm-hmm. it often does. But the parallel in the, the lead or guide, I think your translation has, I found one that said govern. So, I mean, uh. this, is, this is a common word for anyone who's kind of, you know, leading them out, directing the paths. It's even in Psalm 23 – I just was studying for another episode, so it's just fresh <laughs> on my mind. It's the same verb for "leads me beside still waters," you know. And the shepherd is yes. the standard image for a king in the ancient world. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if there's something to play with there. Yeah, um,
1: yeah. I think I can't, you know, help but read this through the perspective of where we are in in history and current, you know, times. And I think, and I don't know, you know. So, in our own church body, we, you know, have gone through a season of transition in leadership. That's, it, you know, of course, brought the requisite chaos and and hurt and you know confusion. And then in the larger church, when we see failures of spiritual leaders, you know, has been so hard, right? These leaders that are supposed to be guiding us, uh, role modeling for us, and then and then even beyond that, with the pandemic and. Um, the chaos it can feel like in our governments and in the world. I, I just feel like there is a part of me at least that longs for a good judge and a good guide, you know. There's a part of maybe, you know, we resist that idea of being, you know, sort of judged, but but there's a part of us that really hungers for justice, right? For fairness. And what does that say about how who we are as God's children, right? Like that deep hunger in us. And I think about like, when I think about the failures of leadership that we see every day, and, and I know this isn't new to history, this has happened, you know, for time and memoriam, obviously it's in the Bible, it's in, you know, the, the kings of the Bible, but it feels new to us, right? It feels new and fresh to us in our generation. There's been a point in which we found ourselves asking, even in our church community, like, is there any such thing as a good leader? Is there any such thing as a trustworthy leader? guide, right? Can it be healthy? Can hierarchies flourish? <laughs> or are they just set up to fail from the start? And so I think there's a part of me that resists this personally when I see you judge the people's failure. You guide there's a part of me that feels like, ooh, but you know, like, but we've experienced the hurt of hierarchy. We've experienced the hurt of abuse of power. We've experienced the hurt of these things. And yet the seed, I think, of truth that comes through for me in this is that God is a good God. He's a good judge. He judges fairly and rightly. We can trust ourselves with Him in His hands as our governor and as our guide. And uh, whether or not that can ever really be replicated on earth in human form is a conversation for another day. But maybe just let our hearts rest in this truth in this psalm right now, right, that That God is a God with power to judge the earth rightly, to guide the earth and the nations. And he's a power that we can trust because of his love and his grace, which leads to the rejoicing, right? The glad song, the praising. It meets that deep need, that deep hunger in us as humans.
0: No, I think that's spot on. That's beautiful. That's cause for rejoicing. I mean, sometimes it's hard for us to remember like, oh, The work of God as judge is something to rejoice in, you know, but uh, that's a repeated refrain and all the nations, even the nations that, you know, uh, this isn't just the nation of Israel who can count on God taking their side, even if he works against them in punishment. They're always, you know, there's that guarantee of redemption that's put forth in the covenant. Well, the rest of the nations can't count on that. And yet they're going to also be glad right because god's actually because a fairness of judgment and you know a wise leading Mm -hmm. is one that actually is is something we all need and actually desire uh, to be judged well yeah let's take a quick break and come back and talk about that some more And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, uh, Kristen Taylor, and we are looking at Psalm 67. Psalm 67. Let me read it again, just so it's fresh in our ears. This is from Robert Alter's translation, which I've been reading, I think, every single episode this year. It's going to get irritating (laughs) for a while, but I don't know. I've been loving it. It's great. So, so for the lead player on stringed instruments, a psalm and a song. May God grant us grace and bless us. May he shine his face upon us to know on the earth your way among all the nations, your rescue nations acclaim you. O God, all peoples acclaim you nations rejoice in glad song for you rule peoples rightly and nations on earth you lead. Nations acclaim you, O God. All peoples acclaim you. The earth gives its yield. May God, our God, bless us. May God bless us and all the ends of the earth. Fear him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, let me mention, I just noticed one little thing that I wanted to slip in about the central moment there in verse four. Okay. And then we can move out from there if we wish to wherever you'd like to go. But I was just glancing at this phrase for just, I I noticed that you already noted in translation comparing, and I know some of our listeners and including some of our guests like yourself who don't work in ancient languages can get a little like, you know, you can get a little intimidated, like, oh, what do I know? Right. But like, honestly, all you got to do is like work with more than one translation and you start noticing a lot, like just translation comparing alone can really get you about 70% of the way to what, honestly, let me put it this way. I think it gets get you 95% of the way. The only difference is you can just get there faster if you, if you study the ancient languages. It's not that it's inaccessible to you because once you've read four translations, okay, well, there's the range. So I think you had just... You had fairly. You had rightly. I think you bumped into all three of those.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And this is tricky because it's not the most common word for justice and righteousness. There's kind of the the most famous words for that, um, like zedek and um, Mishpat and these other key words that are, recur hundreds of times in the Old Testament. This is one I just looked it up while we were talking. I promise I was listening. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I believe you.
0: <laughs> but uh, – this one appears only 23 times. It's, I've never, I haven't studied it deeply. I just glanced at it. It's, it's me sure, me mm. sure. And most of the time, like anytime it shows up in a narrative. So about half or more of the times, it's the word for a plane or a plateau, a flat place. Huh. Plateau, plateau, plane. Just, I'm just doing it a quick Interesting. live, live real time word study. Uh, yeah. So then when it's, when it starts to be used, you know, as a metaphor or an abstract, so it's, it's already a metaphorical, I mean, it's used. Mm -hmm. So it can also be, something can be straight or Mm -hmm. flat or on scales of justice, then you'd have even scales, right? Mm -hmm. They would be level. So I think that's where the language of fairness or even equity Okay. These would be good ways to translate it. So, so it's really only in the prophets that come later do you find it being used that way. Um, it's usually um, in the narratives in the earlier parts of the Bible. It's just on a, out on a plane, you know? Interesting. Isn't that fun? That was yeah. just a real-time discovery. So I'm not saying fairness is the wrong translation because I think it would be – there might be a way – to capture the concreteness of that in English, and if of all my guests, you might be the one who might help us find that. So, pressure. Okay. I know, I'm just kidding, <laughs> I but know. I mean, like, what would be a way to to capture that uh-huh, in an English uh-huh. word that would be less abstract than just right or just or fair, yeah, or equitable? See, these are such
1: they're abstract they're nouns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're contested. Right, and in poetry, we try to steer clear. Unless you're doing spoken word which is more about the idea than the image. We try to stay clear of abstract nouns. In fact, any of my students who write abstract nouns, I I always underline it and say, "Hey, is there a way you can make that a concrete noun? Can you make that a sensory detail?" So immediately when I see that, then I would think like, "What are the sensory details that help us think of evenness or or a plane or a fl-? like um I mean, I think what's so interesting, you know, this is just off the top of my head, but you you know talk about that early meaning of a plateau, well, you can see really far on a plateau, right? Like you can see all the way out to the horizon. So in some ways it makes me think of God is judging and he can see it all, right? There's nothing hidden, but like it's out, everything's out in the open, everything's out in the plain, right? So he's making these judgments with all, everything in sight, everything in view, right? Which is slightly different meaning than the scales, but still it's just something that when I think of the image of a plateau in this context, that's what it brings to mind.
0: Yeah. And I should clarify that. I was just winging it on the scales thing. I mean, that's not, it's uh, even in the prophets. It's often, I mean, Isaiah has a lot of stuff about like making, making crooked paths straight. That's this word. Me sure. Okay. gets quoted in the new Testament quite a bit. Isaiah uses it a lot. Most of the time he uses it concretely as an image But it's always an image for justice.
1: Yeah. So
0: it's possible. I don't know. I haven't done. And when it comes to Psalms, we can never really know because there's not enough historical detail to really know for sure the -hmm. way we can with like Isaiah and these prophets Mm -hmm. that talk about very specific events. I mean, it could be that that Isaiah usage is even influencing this Psalm, Mm
1: -hmm, you know, mm
0: -hmm. whenever this Psalm was constructed, that kind of prophetic innovation of language, mm-hmm. you know, because it's almost like it's almost like it in the narratives. Like the first, like you know, fifteen uses of the word in maybe ten uses in the Hebrew Bible are all just in narratives. Like it's just a literal plane that someone's like riding on or going to or where it's raining or whatever on the plane. Okay, uh, okay. And then and then it's Isaiah who again Psalms come before Isaiah in our Protestant and Catholic Bibles too. Yeah, but in the Jewish Bible it comes after, so it's Tanakh. It, Torah, Nebuim, Ketuvim, the writing. So the Psalms mm-hmm. would come, would be the first book after you've read all the prophets, if you were to go in order.
1: Mm, okay.
0: Which is definitely more accurate in terms of composition, like these come later, um, although they have earlier roots. And so it's very possible that you can kind of see the shift as this becomes a metaphor next. Yeah. And then by the time you get to some of the later prophets and then here in the Psalm, it's mm-hmm. kind of being used more as a, as an abstraction, but again, I think it's probably not gonna ring in the ears as an abstraction the way Yeah it's being translated here.
1: Well it's so interesting that to hear that journey from the the original language of it going to be like a literal like the plane to that being turned into a metaphor, which then we in our English turn into an abstract noun. Like that's quite like that's quite a change.
0: Yeah. 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 On the nations on the earth you lead or you shepherd you govern you Guide. I like to guide. And then for you, judge or rule the peoples fairly. I kind of think fairly's closer at least. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Flatly. <laughs> <laughs> evenly. Evenly. maybe, Evenly. Yeah. Evenly. Yeah. Yeah. Evenly gets it a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: it's just kind of rings in the ear a little strangely. Well, we've camped out on four long enough, although – Your point at the beginning was four is the key. This is the reason, because the rest of it's not telling us a ton about why we're celebrating God. This is the reason why is this central claim.
1: Yes, and you alluded to earlier before the break how this is justice for God's people, but it's going to ripple out to the rest of the nations, right? And so we maybe start to see how the form mimics the content and the meaning.
0: Whoa! See? <laughs> <laughs> did you did you plan that cuz that's awesome. Yeah.
1: I mean that's how it strikes me as I read it and study it from a poetic point of view that like this poem is saying this truth right here this is the thing that ripples out and impacts the world, right? It starts right here and then it impacts Israel and then it's going to go out and out and out and one of the you know I think uh so there were a couple commentaries which actually didn't that I read um, uh, I don't remember their first names. I apologize. Murphy and Kinder. They didn't look at this from a poetic point of view, but one of, uh, the things, uh, I think it was Murphy noted that this was an invitation to the Gentiles, that this blessing is going to even ripple out to the Gentiles, right? That the, it's, this is echoing the, the, the promise God gave to Abraham. you are going to be a blessing to all nations, so for me, I see this this form, like I said, like that ripple and like the the bubble that drops, and then the ripples go out. But also like a megaphone, you know, like we talk about sound waves going out and out and out and out and out, right? And then it and then it reaches reaches the nations, reaches the whole earth.
0: It's so perfect too, because there's spoiler alert for our third segment. I mean, this is this psalm is for the Sunday just before Ascension Sunday, moving uh. towards Pentecost. So that's not on accident. But oh this my goodness, has been selected, yes. so I mean, yes. for a lot of our listeners, you're like, "Yeah, duh, we know what we know what day we're in." But dear listeners, you may not know that I often keep my guests <laughs> from knowing where this fits in the schedule, so that so that we just focus on the text and see where it goes, and not try to force some Pentecost or Easter meaning onto it. You know, I, I usually try to reveal that somewhere in the second or third segment, and it worked out great here. It made it really fresh because you, I mean, that ends up being that kind of pentecost imagery Mm. all the nations being gathered right yeah the tongues that cross those boundaries Mm. Um, that's what this is kind of preparing us toward Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's why this text is selected i'm not saying that's the primary meaning of the text or should i say that's the deep meaning of the text in its larger Mm -hmm. canonical context Mm -hmm. because as you said that was the promise from the beginning this yeah this expansion to all the nations isn't like a random idea that Paul cooked up one afternoon. Right. (laughs) Um, It it was in fact the promise from the beginning uh, with Abraham and the mention of Gentiles just, I mean, this is just a quick tip for all of our listeners. Every time you see nations, it's the same exact word as Gentiles. They're just the same word. It's just goyim, goyim. So if you're, or goy, you may have even heard that like a jewel. That's a, that's a, even in contemporary term amongst Jews, they always have a goy, right? Goy means Gentile, not not <gasps> us. Right, uh, right. So, okay. And it's always a translation decision to decide whether to say nations or Gentiles. Gentiles captures the notion of all the other peoples other than the one nation that God has elected, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's one way to do it. But if you say nations, yeah, so it's, it's, that's just a nice little thing to tuck in the back of your mind. Listeners, same in the new Testament, it's ethne there. So go, you know, Matthew 28, uh, great commission, which fits this season of Ascension and Pentecost. We're in, you know, go into all the ethne, the Mm. Gentiles, right? So here's Jesus, Jewish Messiah, in Galilee saying now, who had said back in Matthew 10, don't go to the Gentiles, only go to the lost children of Israel. Now he's saying, Matthew 28, go now to the Gentiles, the goy, yeah. the goyim, the ethne, yeah. the nations, the Gentiles. Yes. These are all the same word. That's a translation decision in every case.
1: But it's so beautiful. Again, just to, to think back like this, like you say, this was the plan from the beginning. Like this was the plan from the beginning, and we can just trace that thread all the way back through the Psalm to the, pro- the promised to Abraham to the ascension and the Great Commission. And it takes me back to that central verse again, because I think, okay, so this is a blessing, not only for Israel, but a blessing for the Gentiles, for everybody else too. And at this point, I mean, I know we can read Jesus in every single aspect of, of the Bible, but I would imagine the Psalter. As they're writing this, I don't know, maybe that's not true. The Messiah would always be in their mind as they're writing. But but if we're looking at that that verse, why is God's judgment also a blessing for the Gentiles, right? Like, why is God's guidance also a blessing for the Gentiles? I mean, I think it goes back to God saying to Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants, you know, as multi, you know like you're going to be a blessing to the whole world world, but it just is an interesting thing to come back to. Why would this be a blessing for people outside of the chosen ones too? It's hearkening to the day when we're all included, maybe? I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, so many layers to what it could possibly be. That would be one, is the inclusion into the community. Yeah, no, so many layers to that. Yeah. So, why why could it be that the nations would be blessed to have, to want to rejoice at God leading them, uh, ruling over them, judging them rightly. And I think back to your our discussion of the the adverb there, the 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 evenness. Like this <laughs> is God actually making the world right. Yeah. Um, judgment yes. justification is rectification. It's making the world mm-hmm. the way it ought to be. Inti mm-hmm. Wright often uses the phrase putting the world to rights. Mm-hmm. Is this like a turn of phrase he uses a lot to speak of what judgment means? So judgment isn't just the kind of one time good guys, bad guys. You know, one way of thinking of the image of the sheep and the goats is like, okay, you were good in this life. You go in the good place. Bad people go in the bad place. And that's not false in per se, but the idea is the people who, you know, live righteously are put in positions of power and influence to make the world more right and vice versa. You know, it's, it's the, the reversing of, of that very thing you said at the beginning, early on in the first segment of the, the way that power corrupts, you know, mm-hmm. and you move up mm-hmm. the hierarchy and become more unjust, you know, and it's a reversal of that dynamic that's yes. good for everybody in the end, Yeah, you know, yeah. I, th- I think that's, I guess it's maybe that we're all hoping for justice. That's what we all long for. We're usually more excited about justice being meted out against others than ourselves. But in the end, you know, when you, you want the world to, to run in a way that's right and fair. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. And so
0: this longing for fairness is not something unique to the people of Israel. It's a longing that all the nations have. That might be some of what's hinted at there.
1: Yeah. It's a longing that all the nations have. I'm just looking at like, if we keep going out of the ripples here. So let the peoples thank thee, oh God. So and then let all the peoples think thee. I mean, that's the exact same wording in verse three and verse five. Which actually, I noticed the verses are different in different translations. So I was getting a little bit confused <laughs> here.
0: Hey, well, this but, is good. Of a, this is good of a week to talk about that. With any was your was it your uh, was it your messianic one that was yep. off? Okay, yeah, so the, meant- ver- the verse numbers are different in the Psalms in the Hebrew.
1: Aha. Uh-huh. So- okay. Okay.
0: Yeah, because st- the standard versification didn't come till really late. Gotcha. So it's a whole mess. The Psalms in particular, it's a real mess.
1: Okay, because um, the Messianic yeah. one is eight verses long, but the other mm-hmm. one's seven verses long. Okay, so I'm going to stick with the seven verses one just because the four is.
0: Yep. That's fine. Yeah. I've been no.
1: referencing verse four. But um, so verse three and verse five have the exact same wording. So let the people think. So I think the way I see it is the peoples would be the Israelites, let all the peoples would be the rest of them, right? The rest of the nations. And again, there's that sort of ripple effect, right? Like us, and then it's going to ripple out to them.
0: What's weird is the ripple is in a weird way inverted because, so it is nations and all peoples. It's plural in both the lines in three and five.
1: Okay. Um, Okay.
0: So that's goyim, you know, so... I think those are meant to be in parallel and be the same thing. This is the other nations. So actually the, I agree with you on the ripple, but it's actually a fun little inversion because then it's the language at the beginning and end is us language, which would be the covenant people. That's Israel is us.
1: Yes. It's actually
0: for the most part, Sometimes they call themselves a nation, but their usual preference is to say, we're a people. And those are nations, right? So they don't want to call themselves Goy, right? That doesn't okay, make yeah, any yeah. sense, right? Goy means the other nations. So ends up what, what happens then is there's a decentering of the us mm. out to the edge of the ripple,
1: mm-hmm,
0: right? Mm-hmm, Which just mm-hmm. confirms what you were saying earlier, that the plan all along is the judging of all the nations. That's the centerpiece. So I agree with everything you were saying about the ripple out, but it's actually kind of then inverted so we're seeing ourselves as the and ourselves in the first instance would be the israelites of which you are you and i are not yes Uh, but we can still learn the lesson of what it means to be actually a participant in this larger project of god the center of which is the the justice of all the nations yes not just justice against the nations for us you know
1: and if I'm understanding you correctly, so the, it's the second peoples that's the us. It's the first peoples that's the nations. Which, if you look at them, the structure of the poem is. Am I? Did I hear you right? No, on I was that? saying
0: the us language appears in the very first verse and the very last verse, which puts it at the outside of the ripple that you're talking about.
1: No, but I mean, in verse three and verse five, where it says the peoples and all the peoples.
0: Yeah, so it, it would be nations and all the peoples.
1: Okay, so um, nations comes first, mm-hmm. and then all the peoples,
0: which would be the same. same. They're both plural, though. They're both okay. There would be both; those would bo- both be ways of speaking about the Gentiles.
1: Okay, so it's both of them mean the Gentiles. Yeah, gotcha. It's just, okay. a, it's just
0: a synonymous parallelism. Yeah.
1: So interesting. I see what you're saying. So yeah, it starts with us, then it goes to the nations, then it goes to this nucleus verse in the middle.
0: Yeah, unless I'm oh, reading it wrong. Let me double check because I just said it. Yeah, it is. It isn't nations. I said nations, but that was misleading. I'm sorry. It is. It nations appears in verse two, but in okay. verse three, it is peoples. But it's peoples and all the peoples. Uh huh. Amim and amim kalam. Uh-huh. So it's peoples, all the peoples. So I guess some translations were maybe saying, "Well, maybe we should treat that as a singular to contrast it with the all, because mm-hmm. maybe that was confusing, you know." Mm-hmm. But I think it's poetic. It's People's praise him. All the people's praise him, yes. right? It's, oh, it's, yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's the and that's <laughs> the other
1: part of poetry too, right? Like the form is inviting us into an experience and the and repetition, right? Like it was a exactly. way in oral cultures to remember things, to emphasize things. So, yeah, yeah, it it all contributes to this poetic meaning.
0: Modern translations are so written for the eye, yeah, that things that would be not remotely confusing to the ear, even to the English ear you know, people's praise you. Oh God. All the people's praise you. Like yes. that, that's not confusing at all. You know what I meant? I meant, yeah, yeah. I said the same thing, two different ways. The second way was with a little more, it was extending umph. it. Yeah. Yes. Umph, right. Yeah. But at the, on the eye, you're like, wait a minute. What, wait, wh- wh- which are these two peoples? You know, like, no, no, no. Yes, same thing. It's yeah.
1: Why are you saying yeah, yeah, it again? Right. Why are you repeating yourself? <laughs> And, but even that, like it's building, right? Let the peoples, let all the peoples, right? This is building. This is amplifying, right? Just like the psalm is amplifying, right? Beautiful. Yeah. So then this is decentering,
0: which then I guess is part of that's, that's, that is the kind of Pentecost Mm -hmm. moment. The kind of actually all of a sudden Jerusalem is not the center of the world. Uh, Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, (laughs) you know, the center is now this, this coming. Judgment, this coming righteousness, this making the world right, which didn't happen and couldn't have happened without God's covenant people, but it's not just for them, which, again, was always the plan all along.
1: And for us as Christians who think we are the covenant people now, especially North American evangelical Christians, what does this say to us? We're not the center.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's maybe in some ways we receive God's blessing, but is it only for us so that we can be powerful and we can influence the, the, the politics and government and the nations, or is it for another reason?
0: There you go, for something equitable and just. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. <music> All right, welcome back to fresh text i'm here with uh, Kristen taylor and we're looking at psalm 67 psalm 67 uh let's hear it just one more time for funsies this year with the psalms i've been uh consulting my king james a little more often just to celebrate the at least okay. the, the poetic uh
1: it really Potency. is. More po- yeah, yeah, I agree. It is. I mean, there's some, there's some problematic things with the translation, but it is, but K- yeah, the King James is much more poetic.
0: I mean, just to give an example, I've got a edition here that has four translations side by side in it. Mm-hmm. And it's the only one on Psalm 67 that doesn't have to ha- break the line. Uh, to, to like have a, a separate line down below. Uh-huh. It's able to keep each line, you know, as uh-huh. a po- you know, so it actually looks like poetry, you know.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Anyway, side note. So here goes God be merciful unto us and bless us, and cause his face to shine upon us. Th- that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. Let the peoples praise thee, O God, let all the peoples praise thee. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon earth. Let the people praise thee, O God, let all the people praise thee. Then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, one of the many reasons I wanted to slip in the KJV there is the verse two, that thy way be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations, is a little call and response in the Book of Common Prayer.
1: Mm-hmm. So, that's
0: become a kind of, I don't know, just one of those beautiful phrases mm-hmm. that ha- has a life of its own.
1: Yes. Yeah. Thy saving health is so much more poetic. It hits.
0: Yeah, especially because that word has, you know, I mean, I get in, in a NLT as saving power, which is good. NIV as salvation, but salvation has become such a religious and theological word, you know,
1: another abstract noun.
0: Yeah. Whereas it just means like, you know, when you're, when you're sick, you get better. Yes. <laughs> that's all that the word means. The, yeah. the word that's translated heal at like half the times you see the word heal in the gospels. It's when it says like right. your faith has healed you. It's the same yes. word translated salvation. In Paul's letters, so
1: mm-hmm. uh, and that's what we want. We want health. We want yep. health. Yeah,
0: among all the nations. Yes, across the earth. So yep. yeah, where would you go if you were uh, preaching on a text like this, or leading others in a Bible study, or a time of prayer? I mean, it doesn't just have to be a sermon. Although you are preaching more often than you were before, so we can we can go that direction if you want. But how might you craft some teaching or preaching? around this text?
1: Well, I think I would start with the imagery of that, you know, pebble falling into a pond and the ripples that go out, you know, and and I think I would, you know, cover sort of the history a little bit, cover, you know, what it was like for the original worshipers who would have sung this poem. And then I, I would transition into, I mean, another thing that I understand about this poem, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that it would have been sung at the end of worship, maybe after the benediction which also is really interesting to me that they're going out into the world, right? They're going back to their lives and they're singing this, they're singing this song. You know, I would maybe frame it for us, you know, justice and healing, salvation in our lives, a blessing for those around us day to day in our work in our families. Yeah, I think I would maybe think a little bit about that, talk a little bit about that in terms of application. And I think I would go in the direction of, you know, when when this psalm talks about the nations, the other, who is the other for us now that God's blessing is meant for as well? Who are the people that we think of as on the outside, but that God also wants to to bless through his good justice and judgment and guidance? I don't know, this is some of the places my mind goes.
0: It'd be fun to play with especially with the center and periphery kind of imagery, you could really develop some thoughts and even perhaps do a bit of a bait and switch kind of thing where you could start out kind of putting the audience, the congregation in the place of, as being Israel.
1: Yeah. Who's who's
0: learning to include others. Oh, we're being more inclusive, right? Even, you know, and you wouldn't be sarcastic about that the way I am being, that's me saying (laughs) where I'm going, but because even the language of inclusivity has its own problems. Because it's still it still locates the power in the center and the one doing the including. And so to do a kind of including invitation, but then kind of start to twist that. That's why I say bait and switch. Kind of like, but wait a minute, aren't we Goyim? Aren't we nations? Yes. Aren't we the outsiders? Yes, we're being brought into something. Yeah, and so maybe we can't pose ourselves as the center. Who's learning to include, maybe we've been included and are just learning what it means to celebrate that and to invite others to celebrate that as well. I don't know. That'd be, that'd be a kind of, I'd have to really work at that because that's when you're going to play a trick on your, Mm -hmm. you know, like like sometimes really good preachers can do that little like trick thing where you kind of go one direction, go another, but you, you can't do that all the time or you actually like can break trust with your people where they think you're always messing with them. Yeah. Yeah. You can do it from time to time and it can be very jarring and, and kind of awaken and it would fit the text in the sense of this text is designed to sort of awaken consciousness beyond your own people and nation, right? Like the whole thing, even the whole structure of it, as you've pointed out, kind of directs your attention to putting that at the center. And that sets up really well. If you're in a church that actually commemorates Pentecost and you're moving up towards that, you could make some connections there to that moment in Acts two, you know, or, to in Matthew 9, when Jesus says, you know, the the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Mm-hmm. That's another possibility there because of the imagery of harvest here uh, in verse 6. Talk about concrete image, although mm-hmm. sticks out like a sore thumb because it's not the language of the rest I of know. the verse. Right?
1: That's right. That's right.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, for a long time in the early 20th century, it was thought like, oh, maybe this was like a harvest season psalm but more and more given what we know from some of the prophets and the way they speak this is probably the harvest of the nations this is mm-hmm. the you know what i mean the, yeah. the righteous gentiles being brought in to the covenant so it's probably better to think of that as a as an image that would connect to the themes of the rest of the the psalm mm. so that would be a that's just a catchword moment where i that just made me think of the harvest in Matthew 9 and and then it's interesting what jesus says there he doesn't say The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Therefore, get busy. He says, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth workers. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So the first step is, uh, as disciples of Jesus, is to pray for workers. Yeah. Which might be me, might not be, right? To just jump to the conclusion that it's me when I might still have some discipleship to do, where I might just be converting people to my own culture rather than to Christ, and then he does turn around and send them out the next chapter, but only to the house of Israel. It's only later then to all the nations. So you could make and some connections if you wanted. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're good. Saying. I just made a connection with that, that decentering, right? Like this has been God's work from the very beginning, right? This is what the Psalms has said, like all the way back to Abraham. This is God's work that he's been doing throughout time. And maybe we need to take ourselves out of the center of this <laughs> a little bit. And rightly situate ourselves in relationship to that work. I also thought of Second Timothy 315. I don't know if this connects or not, but as for so it's three fourteen and fifteen. But as for you, continue what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I don't know. I'm thinking about that connection to the act of salvation through Christ Jesus there at the center of verse four. That's ultimately God's judgment. That's ultimately his guidance is through Yeshua.
0: Wise for salvation through faith in the Messiah, Yeshua. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. Hey, Kristen, thanks so much. I think, I mean, there's hopefully enough here for all our listeners to get started with, with whatever they might be doing or end with, if this was just for their own edification. But we, uh, I just appreciate you a ton being on the show and bringing in your insights. And, uh, it's just lovely. So thank you.
1: I feel the same. It's such a joy. It's such a delight to work through. Yeah. have these conversations. Thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome. Well, thanks to all our listeners. We appreciate you so much. Thanks to Todd and Eric for their uh, work of production. I couldn't imagine doing this without you guys. Uh, Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Thanks to our patron saints who support the show. If you'd like to become one, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and see ways that you can support the show. And with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.